Welcome. It's great to have you all here with us. You know, I heard that there were going to be some important people watching, uh, so I, I dressed up today. Um, I was going to get a camouflage coat, but I couldn't find one. So <laughs> I'll let that sink in. Later. Okay. Well, we're going to be hearing first from someone who always dresses up for science. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. Are you paying attention? What if I could tell whether you're paying attention or not? Just imagine if you're doing your cellus and it was a long video and you, your mind was starting to drift and you started and then all of a sudden the video stopped and you had to look at it again and start playing. Or what if when you got distracted the video stopped and a video came up and said, what did I just say? You know, <laughs> something like that. It would be pretty surprising, wouldn't it? Well, some researchers in New York have been working on a way to do that, to assess how well you are paying attention. Pretty interesting stuff. And they're doing it just with eyes, with your eye movements. And uh, you can tell a lot by what people are focused on, you know, where their eyes are. And so um, they captured a lot of information about eye movement watching videos. But they didn't just capture what the people were looking at. They also monitored the pupil, the, not like you know the student pupils, the, the center of the eye. If you zoom in on my eye, actually, let's look at a picture. <laughs> if you look really close on an eye, you can see how there's the corona around the outside that's got the color. Different people have different colors. But then in the center, there's that hole. And that hole is the pupil. And it'll get bigger and smaller as uh, different things change. For example, if the room gets a lot brighter, it'll get smaller so less light comes in and uh, it doesn't hurt your eye. And it turns out that it also changes other times. And that's one of the things they were monitoring to monitor attention. Now, I want to show you a video that they made. This is one of the videos they were showing in their study. And you'll see these little red dots moving around. Those red dots are where different people were looking when they watched the video, okay? Now, I'm gonna tell you up front, I'm gonna show you two of these and I want you to see if you can tell me which ones were the kids that were paying attention and which one was, had the kids that were distracted, okay? <laughs> so, watch this. You see those little lines moving? They're actually teaching them about why stars are shaped the way they are, or they look that shape. You see those little red dots? You can see them moving around there. You can tell kind of what they're looking at. Okay, now I'm going to show you the same video again. And let's see if you can tell me which one was the more attention one. Can you see the little dots moving around? If you haven't figured it out, this is the distracted kids. <laughs> the, the eyes just kind of drift all over. <laughs> so there you go. <clears throat> But the big question is, how do you quantify that? How do you make it so you can tell this student is paying attention and this one is not? And the way that these researchers did it was by looking at what they were looking at compared to other students. It turns out that when you're paying attention watching a video, everybody that's paying attention has a tendency to look at the same thing, you know, the action of the, the video frame. And so 
all the people that were paying attention had very similar eye movements. Not only that, they had very similar pupil dilations. Their pupils got bigger and smaller at the same time. And it wasn't always when the contrast changed. It would be when there was a, something happened where you know, they realized something or something like that. And so they used that data of how similar the students were to each other to decide how attentive they were, if they were distracted or paying really close attention. And, and uh, they took this a step further. After they collected a whole bunch of data, they did an assessment where the kids, or the, it wasn't all kids, but they had the people do some questions after, you know, a test. And they found that their attentive score was predictive of how well they did on the test, which means that they actually have something that uh, is, might be useful, huh? And uh, I want to show you some data that they collected. And uh, this is a graph. You can see how there are three people here. And two of them were attentive, really paying attention, and one was quite distracted. And you can kind of tell which one it is. Can you tell which one was distracted? You can see how uh, the red and orange move almost together. And the green's kind of doing its own thing, <laughs> kind of a straight line in some cases. And so uh, this is an example of how different it looks when uh, they're paying attention or when they're distracted. Now, one of the big challenges here is how do you track eye movements? And uh, some of you may have seen the cars, you know, where it tracks your eye movements and you're driving along, you start getting a little drowsy or something, and then, wing, it shows you a little coffee mug picture or something, <laughs> time for some coffee <laughs> or a nap. And, uh, so we already have some of this eye tracking technology, but um, more recently they found that they can do the eye tracking with just a webcam. And that's what we have on our computers and our uh, tablets and phones and everything. So this is more possible than it, you would have thought earlier. And that's because of something called machine learning. And what they do is they train their algorithm to tell where you're looking. And they have you practice where you're, you look at a certain dot on the screen, and then they monitor what you look like when you do that. And then you look at the dot over there, and they monitor how the picture changes, mainly your eyes, right? Or how you turn your head and stuff. And after they train it for a while with a whole bunch of data, pretty soon these machine learning algorithms can get really good at telling what you're looking at. So to start their experiment, they had the, um, participant look at a dot on the screen and they use that to calibrate their their eye movements you know what they were looking at and then run this experiment uh, but that's pretty amazing when you think about the fact that this could be done uh, over the web on on our everyday devices it might have a lot of potential so maybe someday you will see something like this in a cellist you never know and the moral of the story is be sure and pay attention right that's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> all right. Now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. You know, when we communicate, it's important that we think about how specific am I being? Okay, and this can be important in, in all kinds of things. Like if you're a pilot and you're flying, you're like, to tower, to tower, I need help. 
Uh, what's your possession? I'm by a cloud that looks like a lion. Can you be more specific? A lion that looks like Simba. Okay. That's not the specific I'm talking about, okay? <clears throat> but when we're researching things and we're trying to make sense and, of and learn about the world we live in, the more specific we can get, the more we can start to explore and figure out, right? Well, we're going to talk tonight about something that you study in things like chemistry and its atomic theory and things about atoms, the little building blocks of everything. And it used to be that the understanding of how everything was made up was its spheres, okay? So if you got down to the tiny, tiny, tiny building blocks of anything, you, the tree, the rock, it all comes down to these little spheres, and they named them atoms, okay? So that's what basically the world was made of, was these little atoms and their little spheres, and that was kind of the accepted understanding. That sounds pretty similar to what we have now, um, but it was much more simple than what we have now. Well, right at this, about this time, there was a new invention. This is in the mid to late 1800s. And the invention was a glass blower discovered that if he took, he took this tube, this glass tube, and he closed both ends. He melted them shut. And he had pieces of metal on both sides. And then he connected a pump to the top, and he pulled all the air out. He created what they call a vacuum. So now there's no air inside this tube, and it's completely enclosed. Okay? Then he attached electrodes, or he attached wires to the electrodes. And if you look at this picture, this is kind of what he had set up. He attached wires to those two sides and sent a voltage, a pretty powerful voltage, through this tube. And what he saw surprised him because he actually saw a little beam of light going through this tube. And, you know, if you have a, a really high voltage and th these two electrodes, if you bring them together in the air, you might get like a spark or a, a bolt of electricity. But he had this constant little beam going through his tube, and they called it the cathode ray tube. Well, this became the new science toy. I mean, one, it's really cool. Uh, but And they actually started selling ornaments and stuff where you could have these. But they started trying to figure out, what is this beam? Is this light like fire? Is it, what, what are the characteristics of this beam? So everyone started to try to figure out and analyze what is going on here. And that's when we need it. And here's, here's another picture. This one actually has um, a substance behind it to help it light up more. But there's the beam. And we're going to talk about Joseph John Thompson. And uh, JJ is what he would go by. And I think only his mother used the long name when he was in trouble. Joseph John Thompson. <laughs> but he had an interesting idea. He thought, well, if this is electricity we're working with, I wonder if it is magnetic. I wonder if it's electromagnetic. And so he did a test. And the test involved a magnet. And he took a magnet. And he, remember, magnets have, are two-sided. They have the positive side and the negative side, right? He took the positive side, and he held it by this beam. And he was really surprised to see something like this, where the beam was all of a sudden angled up toward the magnet. And he flipped it around, and he pointed it the other way so that the negative was pointing down, and the beam pointed down instead of up. And this, this really surprised him. 
and it, he also started to draw some conclusions. First of all, whatever is in here has to be of a certain charge that's negative. Because remember, the, the opposites attract and the same repel. So if this beam right here is attracted to this positive magnet, then that beam must be negative. Okay, so he, he concludes that these, this, this ray must be negatively charged. He also concludes that it's made of particles. And we're not gonna get into the math that he did, um, but he was able to actually start to calculate the rough speed of these particles, the speed that they were moving, and also the size of these particles. And he calculated that the size of them was more than a thousand times smaller than a hydrogen atom. And the hydrogen atom is the smallest atom. So this is, it's really small. And that started to make some issue with the, the common knowledge of the day of atoms are these single spheres. If there's something that's smaller than an atom, then how is atom, the atom the smallest thing? Unless, what if atoms are made of multiple things together instead of one ball? And he started to think about that and explore that. And he tried different electrode materials. So the two metal things on the end, he tried different metals of different elements. And no matter which one he tried, these particles didn't change. The characteristics of them, it seemed that whatever he sent the electricity through, these particles didn't change. So he concluded that all of these different materials have this same particle in them. Now eventually, these would be called electrons, these particles that are passing through, and electrons are negatively charged. And then he started to come up with some more conclusions, and that was, we know that most atoms are usually neutral, so they don't have a positive or negative charge. But wait, if, there's, if I know there's a negative electron with this atom, then wouldn't it be negative? There must be a positive charge somewhere in this atom. And so he came up with a model of what the atom might look like. Instead of a ball, he came up with something else, and he called it the plum pudding model. And I have to say plum with an accent or attempt to, because when I think of plum pudding, I think of this jello stuff, and there's these big old ugly plums in there. Apparently, in England, plum pudding is a breakfast treat. Okay, it looks something kind of like this. Um, you could think of it maybe as the blueberry muffin model. It makes a little more sense. And basically, his idea was, what if atoms, okay, I, I know that there's these electrons in there. So maybe the electrons are scattered like plums in pudding. And the dough around those negative electrons is positive. And that was, it, it's not true, that <laughs> we, we would discover. But it was a step a step from going from this one single sphere to there's different parts. In fact, some of the parts are negatively charged, some of the parts are positively charged. And eventually, we would find that, well, actually, the, the positive charge is concentrated towards the center of an atom, and the electrons, those negative particles, are on the outside of the atom. But it would be a series of steps to get there but a series that was begun by this plum pudding idea and the discovery of electrons, these negatively charged particles. So magnets, I mean, if you can get in one of those spaceships that can take you to a galaxy far, far away where they have lightsabers, maybe those are electromagnetic too. You just come in a magnet suit. 
but just make sure it's positive and not negative or else they'll all stick to you. So thank you. And now introducing Roger Billings. <laughs> so tonight we're going to be low key. <clears throat> Yes, that too was an entrance. Too many of me. Yes. Too Actually, many. it was about right. <laughs> you know. Wow. Did you hear that story that Joe told at the beginning, but he couldn't find camouflage? The camouflage yeah. one? Yeah, I did. Do you yes, know that's a true story? Is that why he's blushing over there? <laughs> yes, I wish the cameras could go back. That would be why he's blushing. You know, he's blushing. Because <laughs> when he was very young, uh-huh. His mother bought him one of those camouflage shirts, uh-huh. and he was so proud. He was so excited. I guess someone explained to him how they work. You know, camouflage blends in, uh-huh. so he can't see it. Uh-huh. So he came in and he looked at me, and is something wrong? Can you see me? <laughs> yes. Shirt must not be working. <laughs> I love that kind of mind. That was, that was really a cute story. You know. <clears throat> well, today we've got uh, something pretty special to talk about. You know, uh, a lot of things are going on in the world, and we have many, many wonderful students that are involved in our Cellus courses. In fact, now we have them all over the world, and the numbers are going up and up, and it's kind of fun. But I think out of the whole world, they selected all the best students to study on Acellus. Because as I get pictures and I hear from them, they're amazing. Uh-huh. Well, what's the name of that student that you've been following over in Italy? Oh, her name is Licia. Licia. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about her? She's a phenomenal student. Um, she, in my opinion, she's a miracle. And she has the most amazing positive attitude in life. And I think it'd be really... And personal courage. And personal courage. And personal courage. Which I um, admire and uh, have incorporated into my life by uh, watching. Good. Didn't she send us a video? She did. I wonder what she'd think if we played it. I hope she doesn't like Would you guys <laughs> like to go to Italy for just a minute and see a very wonderful, courageous, a solo student? Yes. Okay. Let's go. do it.
Isn't that fun? Yes. It's so wonderful. We should. Hey. Keep it up. So she tried to order a robot. And the mean store said we don't ship internationally. <laughs> Does the hmm. store have a name? <laughs> so somebody contacted Peugeot. Yeah. If you need it done. <laughs> well, you and know. And so I think you should send her this robot. Okay. Don't you think so? Yep, it's coming to you. So tell her it's on its way. It's on its way. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to send her a poster. I wanted that one of you, but I guess we're sold out. <laughs> yeah, we're sold out. But this one we don't sell as often. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not true. I'm going to write something on here. Okay. Is it personal? I don't know. probably is. <laughs> this is one of the most personal names I have. How's that? I think that's wonderful. Okay, good. Keep it up. You know, we have seen a lot of robots going all over the world these last couple of weeks. It's kind of amazing. And we're getting some good videos in. And we really like getting those good videos. Now, there's another guy, and I can't mention Ryan's name, but Mr. Peterson. <clears throat> Mr. Peterson. Anyway, whatever his name is, uh, has been giving me some good ideas. He said, you know, we need to have a better way for parents and students and everybody to stay on top of what's happening in the cellus. Some of you have been saying, we need to get this yearbook thing going. Remember hearing about that? Yeah. Yearbook would be a program where students would be able to interact, where parents could network with each other, mm -hmm. where we could train parents on how to use the parent tools better and all that kind of stuff. Well, we've been quiet, but we've been working. Mm -hmm. And April 1st, which is coming up in just a couple of months, is when this thing is supposed to go live. Okay? Just a couple of months. Now, there's no one in this group that can wait a couple months. <laughs> you got us all pegged. That's what's all in common. So what we're going to do instead is I'm going to start rolling this out in what I call the beta test mode. That means we got to have some time to work out the kinks. Uh -huh. So it may hiccup and do funny things before we give it to everybody. But if anyone tonight or today would like to be able to be part of the beta test and get it earlier and try it out, then just send Peugeot a message. I would like to put in your Solus number, and we'll let some of you try it out. How'd that be? Lucky. I do want to tell you a little bit about it, though. It's not going to be called your book. No. It's instead got a different name. We spent a lot of time thinking about what to name it. And this is going to be a program that we wanted to, to make available to our teachers, to our parents, and especially to our students, so that they would be able to create their own page. They'd be able to post their videos, their photographs, their certificates, their poetry, mm -hmm. their original compositions, their musical compositions, all these different things. We wanted it to become kind of a really special place that people could enjoy each other. And so we have named it 
neighbors. Mm. Acellus neighbors. Uh -huh. Okay? And you'll be able to search for other people on here. Now, if you get part of this test, you won't have to spend very long searching <laughs> because it'll only be you and me and her, you know. But actually, I think we're going to see this grow really fast based on the amount of people that are looking at it. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping it'll get to be the place that people will be able to really enjoy being neighbors with other people. And it's, it's fun. We have solo students now all over the world, mainly in the U.S., but all over the world. And you have a chance to reach out and, and communicate with some of these people. Now, I'd like you parents to sit back down. <laughs> you said, what, 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 what? Yeah. Uh, and, and we did something else, and, and you students don't have to listen right now, but maybe you should. They will. They'll listen. I know, I know yeah, they'll if listen. If you tell them not to. But uh, we really respect the need for parents to keep an eye on things. And we've talked to a lot of you. How do you feel about creating a system where students can communicate with each other? Uh, communication is good. They can develop their, their writing skills. They can develop their social skills. They can do a lot of things. One thing they could do is they could search for other people that are taking the same class they're in. I uh, 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 can't trade answers <laughs> because know? that would stint your education. But you can trade ideas and you can enjoy interacting with each other. This particular program called Neighbors allows you to create forums, to be able to post on it, talk about problems, subjects. We're really going to be watching it for ideas on how we can make a cellist better. What do you think about uh, John's idea? If you uh, daydream, <laughs> you know, I have that feature in my new Raptor truck. And uh, I'm driving down the road, and I'm not dozing, and it all comes on, and says, are you tired? <laughs> no. I don't know if we'll put that in Solus very fast. And <laughs> but anyway, it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think people are going to really enjoy doing it. Uh, but back to the parents for a minute. It's set up so the students can interact. And just to make sure that you still are good parents and keeping careful watch over your children, when the parents create the account and put their students in, you have the ability to go in and monitor everything the student does, which I think is really a good idea, so that we can uh, make sure we stay on course. And you kids uh, ought to be pretty happy about that because that means maybe your parents will let you use it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the advantages of this. Uh, we've kind of uh, created this for... Um, for a lot of different kinds of people, we, we've decided that we're going to maintain American values on this site. That means it's not going to be a place where a lot of, of filth and other things can come. And, and if those things start showing up, since we control it, since it's hosted in our data center, we can kind of kick things off. So don't misbehave. Uh, improper language, improper conduct, Improper photograph, things like that will get you kicked off. So, there's no cost for it. Uh, to sign in, you need to have a Celis uh, teacher gold key or a Celis parent gold key account. In other words, just like you sign into the parent account, you'll be able to sign into here. But if you're a student, 
all you need is an Acellus ID, your password, and you're in. So that's to make sure that we know who's there, and they really are there, and it's to make it feel secure and safe. Actually, we did that to keep you off. <laughs> you think that's going to work? <laughs> I'm going to become a cell student right away. No, I don't think so. No, I know that you are a teacher, and so you will be right in there. And I think you should create a very special page so that people have, you know, access to you. And if they can't get things shipped to Italy, they can get a hold of you uh-huh. and say, fix it. Fix it, page I can eight. put my opinions out there to the... People who need help. Well, we don't have that much space, but, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, you know, you know, whatever, whatever. So I think, that, so watch out for it. It's called Neighbors. I love and, it. And, you know, we, we chose that word after a lot of thinking. Uh, in this day and age, everybody uh, knows that if, if someone rubs you wrong, you can just unfriend your friend. Yeah. Unfriend. I mean, that's not a very friendly word, is it? It's not. If you unfriend a friend, they're gone. And I think that some of these programs today actually ruin friendships. That's not what we had in mind. We want to have something that will build friendships. If you get mad at your neighbor, and so you say, I'm unfriending you, next morning the sun comes up, there they are. (laughs) (laughs) So since we're neighbors, let's be friends, that kind of thing. So I think we're hoping that this will inspire lasting friendships and relationships. And I hope it will be a great place to meet. I hope it will make people a better writer. We, we did debate for the students when they start typing messages, maybe we should run it through writing tutor. <laughs> so you correct your grammar, your spelling, get a score on it, and then you send it. But then I decided, no, you get enough of that in your class. But boy, we have a lot of very good writers in Acellus, and I think they'll very, do very well. I and I intend to be on there, and it's fun. You'd be surprised how many of your comments I read. I don't read them during the time that we're, we're, we're broadcasting, but I do listen to them and I read them. And you parents, um, we are monitoring the, the parent messages, and you have done so much to shape Acellus in a better way. I'm so grateful. And it should be that way. It should be an Acellus community, and that's what Neighbors is for, is so that we can communicate better, and I hope you really like it. Now, some of your parents, I, yep, you're, you're thinking, well, can't we try it out too? Mm-hmm. And of course you can. In fact, you'll need to try it out, put your kids in, or at least you have to, have to sign in and, and put them in. But uh, I, I'm actually hoping to try it with quite a few people. I have been trying it, and it's really, really, really neat. Uh, someone's asked me, well, what exactly is it? Neighbors. Is it a driving school? And I said, no. Um, it's a combination between Facebook, Twitter, forums, YouTube, and I went on, no, no, no. It's got it all. So you can put all these things there, and I hope we'll have a lot of fun with it. I hope you really, really enjoy it. And most of all, let's make it be something special. It's special if we put neat stuff there. And I think it would be really fun to see if, uh, if we can create something really positive, really enjoyable. I would like to think that people would spend time on here because there's so many neat things to experience. Uh, we've already put up a, a forum for pets. Pets. 
pets. Yeah. If you have a pet, would like to see a picture. If they, if your pet does something really petty, well then would like, <laughs> would like to see a video. If you wrote, you know, something about your pet, we'd like to see that. So it's all about pets, and that'd be kind of fun. And you might find people that have the same kind of pet that you have. Mm -hmm. What fun. kind of pet do you have? I have a German Shepherd. German pet. Shepherd. No, that's a frog, isn't it? <laughs> no, German Shepherd. I'm wearing green for mm. the frog tonight. Today. Yes, and they're wonderful frogs. You're wearing green for the frogs. That's right. She's trying to get me to ask her to, sit, to do that frog thing again, but I'm not going to fall for that. <laughs> she had her chance. I did have my chance, I'm, and I'm I like to not I'm, live in regret. I'm not going to fall for that at all. But anyway, uh, another page we put up, we've got one where you can share poetry. And I think it's really neat. We really want to encourage people to share poetry. We're planning to put a lot of things up here on music. Uh, there are people that are performing, and there are people who are starting to compose. And one of my big pushes this year, as some of you guys here know, is to get people at the Academy of Science creating new, wonderful music. You know, there's country-western music, there's rock and roll, there's all these different genres of music, right? Well, I wanted to invent my own. So I could call it our music. Like or armchair music or whatever, but like instead, you know, we're right in the heartland of America, so we mm -hmm. called it heart music. Love it, yeah. And uh, the rule, we, we don't know what heart music is yet because nobody's composed any, <laughs> but we're going to. And the idea of heart music is, is it makes your heart feel good. I like it. And, and it heals hearts. Wouldn't it be great to have music like that? Some of the greatest music has come when people have gone through very intense moments in their lives. And quite often creating music that really captures your feeling and emotion of that experience is what heals you. And if we get that kind of music out there for everybody, we'll have a better place. So it's kind of exciting. We put in a really nice recording studio in the Billings Tower. And I hope all of you are going to get inspired to do music. Remember I told you we're working to create some mu music composition recording classes. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I also hope to get to the point where the music you put out there can be monetized so you can get out to people and if they like it, then maybe you'll get some rewards for your hard work. Okay, but now we've got to get down to business. Okay. Okay? Ready? I want to share the moment that I first met Bill Lear. Will you please look at this photograph? This is Bill Lear. He's the handsome guy on the left, and that little skinny runt over there on the right, you know, that's me. What do you think? <laughs> that's neat. This is back when I was black and white. <laughs> yeah, and, and there we are. That's the first moment we met, and uh, boy, how this guy changed my life. Now. He wanted to hear all about hydrogen, and so I showed him the world's first hydrogen car. And here he is taking a look at the engine. There it is, yep, the Model A Ford, and you see me looking at it too and explaining it. Bill Lear right there in the red jacket taking a look at it. And then he wanted to see if it would run. So I'd like to show you in this next slide how this whole thing figured out. Okay, here it is. There's me leaning on the side, and in the back of the Model A 
is my one and only little brother, who's now six foot and many, <laughs> and very, very tall. And he's sitting there with a hydrogen tank. Now, I've got here the model of the Model A as made by Abraham. And I oh, can appreciate this. Can you see the little hydrogen tank in there? Well, that's very real. We still have this little Model A. And at one time, it was this color. Every once in a while, we'd paint it. And uh, actually, this is a green color. And the reason I painted it green was this was the original color when it was made. And my high school colors were green. So we made it. <laughs> At any rate, Mr. Lear was pretty impressed. And remember, in high school, when I built this thing for the science fair, I didn't know how to machine a lot of things. And so when I wanted to accelerate, I had to open the valve and let more gas flow. But the valve was in the back of the pickup truck. And so that's where little brother came in. He would sit back there. And when I wanted to accelerate, I would just go, more, more gas. And he'd turn, let's look at Lewis again. Here he is. Oh, there's Uncle Lewis right there in the back. And Bill are looking at it and say, that's quite an accelerator. Okay. But uh, then he wanted to drive it. Bill Lear wanted oh. to drive the car, and I put him in, and I'm on the, on the running board, and away he went, and he loved it. He loved that it ran, and he loved that uh, when the hydrogen was burning, it was producing water vapor. Now, I'd like to show you some of my smiles. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to see the biggest smile Bill Lear's ever pulled in his whole life? Mm -hmm. What would make a great inventor, the guy that invented the Learjet, what would make him smile bigger than he'd ever smiled before if it wasn't my charming and beautiful wife, Tanya? Take a look at this. Look at that grin. Yep, there we are. And remember, she had just delivered our first child, and this was just days from when we were going to be on his Learjet flying off to live at the River House. And so there it is, Bill Lear. What an amazing guy. And we're going to be talking a little bit more. Next week, I'm hoping to take you over to the glass tower mm -hmm. to see the Bill Lear desk, which is now installed. And I sit there at that desk. Remember, it's got elephant leather on top. And it was designed by Bill Lear. And it was there when I was mentoring under him 462 years ago, or whatever it was. And I hope you, you really enjoy it. But we need to get forward on our discussion because I have something else that I want to share with you today. It's a very important story that I think makes a very important point. And it was a real turning point in my career. So after we spent our, our mentoring time with the Lairs, we finally finished. He says, okay, you're ready to go to work. We came back home. And I started my little company to develop hydrogen energy, later to build computers and so forth. And I started out with no money. But with my no money, I was able to get a couple employees, and we were struggling. Every other Friday was payday. And it was so hard to try to scrape up enough money to pay everybody. And I remember remember those times so well. And then someone very, very interesting came into my life. I'd like to introduce you to John K. Hansen. 
There's this handsome guy sitting at my desk, by the way. Mr. <laughs> Hansen was the president, chairman, founder of Winnebago. This is the guy that made the motorhomes. Uh, it started out that he lived in Forest City, Iowa, and he had a nice furniture store there. And some guys wanted to manufacture trailers, like you pull behind a truck, you know, a camping trailer. And so they needed some investors. He had a little money. He invested. And in a few years, the company went broke. And he had money invested. So he went in, took over the company, and started trying to turn it around. And while Mr. Lear was turning it around, this company really took off. And it was just a few years later that they got the idea that you could make a trailer with the car built in. The engine, the steering wheel, it would be a complete autonomous little house on wheels, as he loved to call it. And I had heard about these motorhomes, and I thought, what a perfect way to show the world all about hydrogen. You could convert this whole motorhome and the stove and everything on hydrogen. And so I wrote a letter to Winnebago and asked him, uh, could you please give me a motorhome so I could convert this thing to hydrogen? When I wrote that letter, Winnebago was so successful, they were making a million dollars a day. That's a lot of money. They were really, really doing well. And Mr. Hansen was, uh, was very interested. He gave us a motorhome. We went out and picked it up, converted it. And when Mr. Hansen heard how well it was running, he came out to see it for himself. And it, it's interesting to point out that when he came to see me, he came in his very own Learjet. <laughs> Learjet came streaking into our airport, picked me up, took me over. I showed him the motor home. He got excited. We sat down at my desk, and he said, I'll tell you what, I can tell you guys are just getting started. I would like to invest in your company. That would be money to pay all of my employees for another pay period. Good idea. I didn't say that. I just thought it inside words. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, uh, what did you have in mind? And he said, what about a million dollars? Okay. <laughs> and so I have to show you Mr. Hansen's handwriting. Here it is. John K. Hansen, check for a million dollars to Billings Corporation. And for the first time, we had a little bit of money. This is when we were able to start to do a lot of our projects and a lot of our dreams. It was really interesting because after he handed me that check, and by the way, he pulled out of his uh, checkbook, out of his pocket, he wrote on it with a felt tip pen, signed it, handed it to me, just go to lunch. I figured if he's giving me a million dollars, I buy lunch. Then I remembered I didn't have very much money in my wallet, so we went to McDonald's. <laughs> and I bought. <laughs> and for the rest of my career with him, he always reminded me about how fancy, you know, if he'd give me $2 million, maybe I'd gotten him something better, but <laughs> wonderful guy. Also want to show you this little home on wheels, all converted to hydrogen. This is the hydrogen-powered Winnebago, and this is one of the scientists that worked for me. Can you see Billings Energy Corporation mm -hmm. there? And that was the little motor home 
that he was so kind to share with us. It was very generous. His investment made so many things that I was able to do in my career possible, and I, I am always going to be so grateful to him. He was excited about the motorhome, and I suggested, why don't we make an exhibit at the World's Fair so that everyone can learn about hydrogen? He said, a good idea. So he got us an exhibit space at the World's Fair, which that year was in Spokane, Washington. And we, we made a little display in another motorhome that was just all open inside so people could stream through, and we had thousands and thousands of people go through this motorhome. But now this gets in the part of the story I really want to tell you about because it was 1972 when Mr. Lear flew out in his Learjet and did his little thing, his little thing, his giant thing, his little check. But in 1973, something really tragic happened to our, to our nation. There was an oil embargo. And all of a sudden, oil went from $3 a barrel up to $12 a barrel, a huge 400% increase overnight. And there wasn't enough oil, and people would have to line up, and you can only buy it either on even days or, or odd days, and it, it was terrible. The cost of gasoline went up so much that people could not afford to drive a big vehicle like a motorhome. And so from a million dollars a day sales, their sales went almost clear to zero. And he had this big factory. He had all of these wonderful people that lived around Forest City, Iowa, that were his dear friends, in some cases his relatives. And they needed jobs. He got them all hired, had this big, beautiful factory. And all of a sudden, no one buy motorhomes. But they kept running the factory, and they kept cranking them out. And they filled up the parking lot, and then they filled up the neighboring farm. And eventually there were papers on the or pictures on the news and in the newspapers of these fields clear full of brand new motorhomes they couldn't sell. And Mr. Lear told me, Roger, I'm afraid we're going to have to shut our doors. We had the best thing in the world going just a year ago, and now I think we're going to lose it all. And I was so heartsick, I thought, how grateful I was for how generous Mr. Hanson was to me. And I wish there was something I could do. But he did come out to the World's Fair in Spokane, Washington to see our little exhibit. He flew out in his Learjet. And when he got there, something really amazing happened. I want to show you the Hydrogen Billings Winnebago Expo exhibit. There it is. Hydrogen, the key to clean energy. And that would happen to be Mrs. Tanya. And number two over there in the stroller. Can you see that? That's number two. So we were there in this exhibit, and like I said, we had thousands. Of th and inside it showed the whole hydrogen technology. It was pretty neat. But when Mr. Hansen came out to see the exhibit, he couldn't get a hotel room. There were so many people at the World's Fair out in Spokane, there just wasn't enough hotels. And he said, I got an idea. He found a farmer that had 3,500 acres, and he said, will you rent it to me? The World's Fair was going to last six months. It was just the beginning of it. And so he went back to Forest City where all of his employees were now laid off because they didn't have any 
any more money to build motorhomes. And he called them all to work, and he said, I need 500 of you to volunteer. 500 of them climbed in 500 motorhomes that were out in the field, and they had a, a caravan from Forest City, Iowa, all the way to Spokane, Washington. And when they got there, they lined these motorhomes up in this farmer's field, and they called it the Winnebago Village, the place to stay at the World's Fair. Honey. And he said, if I can just get enough money renting these out every night to pay the interest until the price of gasoline comes back down, maybe we will make it. Well, when six months were up, Mr. Hansen had sold all 500 of those motorhomes. Wow. People that stayed in them liked them so much. And so he was selling them right there wow. at the show. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Put yourself in his shoes. He worked hard. He had a good idea. He implemented. He succeeded. A million dollars a day, it doesn't get better than that. And he said, we were on easy street. And then he came out in his jet, and he found me, and he gave our little company a million-dollar investment, which made us go. And then all of a sudden, his world, no fault of his, his world just fell apart, kind of like ours did last year when everybody was worried about the sickness. A lot of businesses really hurt, and it wasn't their fault. Yet they still hurt. And so it was almost over for him. It was like there was no more time, there was no more hope. And he came out there and he saw a problem and click, 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 eyes, ideas went off in his head. He brought those motorhomes out and he saved Winnebago and they continue to be the most amazing, largest manufacturer of motorhomes I think still in the world. Mm -hmm. And he continued to be very, very successful. You know, there are times in everyone's career when it goes wrong and sometimes it goes horribly wrong. And there are always really good reasons to allow yourself to really get discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you want to give up. You just want to give up hope. And there I was on the front row watching this happen and watching what made this great man great. Because though he was hurting, he wouldn't give up. He saw an opportunity. Most people wouldn't have even tried. How are you going to get 500 motorhomes from the field out here to Washington? He just had all of his employees drive them. <laughs> and lo and behold, they all got their jobs back. And motor home, or Winnebago Motorhomes continue to be a legend today. I, I think one of the most important things that I would like everybody to learn as we're studying about science and about entrepreneurship and about building businesses and that. You don't build a business without bumps in the road. <laughs> if it doesn't have bumps, it's not a road. <laughs> and so it, it isn't really what you do during the times of downhill easy sailing. It's what you do when there's no way to go on that determines your greatness. Mr. Hansen set a great example for me, and I would like to share that example with you. Now, 
uh, we went on uh, to be many, many years, and, and, and now he's passed away. And I cherish my memories with him. But he used to be so worried that I was not having as much time as I needed to work on my inventions, as he called them. And he supported me in the personal computer and all these different things. But I, I remember one day I needed to go uh, down to Kansas for a meeting, which was a long ways from my home. And he said, well, I'll just send the Lear. So the Lear flew halfway across the country to pick me up, then to fly me down to the meeting in Kansas, then down to Texas, then back home, then back to Forest City. And I thought, you know, what a friend. Uh, but those Lear jets, what about those? I think all of us should have a Lear jet. <laughs> yes, it's a Do you think so? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, it really is exciting. Well, I want to leave you now with a little video clip of Bill Lear, I'm excuse me, of John K. Hansen. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we call him John K. Hansen because his son, John V. Hansen, became the president of Winnebago later. And so John K. means the dad. And in this little video clip, you'll get to see him in action, get to hear his voice. And he's going to show us the little home on wheels, all powered by hydrogen. See what you think. <clears throat> To demonstrate hydrogen's capability, I wrote to Winnebago Industries requesting a motorhome. Usually the first time we contact people, they're quite skeptical about hydrogen. It sounded really a little far out. He was able to, telling us he was able to change a unit uh, over totally to hydrogen. Not only could we convert the engine to run on hydrogen, but also the appliances. It sounded rather ridiculous, but we did allocate it. and. Uh, the inquiry came from this little, small firm. Uh, I believe it was just practically a one-man show. We were delighted with Mr. Hansen's response. We knew we could make the vehicle run now that we had a chance. Over the last nine years, we had been converting automobiles to run on hydrogen. Now the challenge was to convert a motorhome. We knew we were involved in developing new technology, which made our work very exciting. To my surprise, actually, uh, the uh, motorhomes uh, and all its appliances worked uh, to perfection. We converted the engine, the regular power unit, and the auxiliary power unit, then the units run off the propane, the range, the water heater, the uh, regular heater, as well as the fridge, completely over to hydrogen, with the power unit then running the TV, radio, whatever else you have on electrical. So the little home on wheels is completely transferred over to hydrogen. I became, I, I believe the best word is, overwhelmed by the success of the research. So what do you think? That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you happen to notice the red tank that says Billings on it? Uh -huh. That was a liquid hydrogen tank that we talked about over the last few discussions. And it was really neat. It would power the engine. The whole thing ran on hydrogen and um, was kind of a milestone in, in the development of the technology. What a great man. And not only did he create this wonderful industry and all these wonderful jobs, but he did so much for me and so much of what I'm able to do today is things that have come about because of the beginning that, and the doors that he opened up for me. I will always be very, very grateful to that guy. 
One other thing I want to say, when I developed the client-server computer system, I wanted to show that with these little personal computers, with a, with a whole bunch of them, and some of the server computers, we could replace the giant million-dollar mainframes, which were the only computers of the day. And when I got this technology ready to actually try it out in a real business, who do you think was brave enough to take the first one? <laughs> John K. Hansen. They had an IBM mainframe computer, IBM 370, with a bunch of terminals. And when they would get real busy and they were trying to take orders for accessories and for colors for motorhomes from their dealers, the computer gets so slow they'd have to wait minutes before it let them enter the next item. And we brought in 200 personal computers because they had 150 terminals, so we replaced them all with these standalone Billings computers hooked up to our Billings file servers. Mm -hmm. And when they got busy, the response time was always less than a second. Wow. So it really, really worked. And it was the first time in the history of this blue planet going around the sun that anyone had built a distributed processing system of any size like that with client-server computing. And uh, Mr. Hansen was such a great facilitator in my life. Now, people will support you if you'll be straight with them, if you'll do your homework. I mean, one thing, boy, when, when he brought that money, I really felt like I needed to be diligent and see that every penny was utilized properly. After I took him back to the airport, the day he brought the check, you know, and I bought him that Big Mac. I did at least get a Big Mac, but we, <laughs> we headed back over to the airport, and he got on his plane, and I saw it take off, and then I had the check, and we were really hurting, so I went running straight down to my bank to deposit the check. And uh, I had the bank make me a copy. That's why I have that copy. But I... Uh, I took it up to the cashier and got my turn. I had to get one of those deposit slips because I didn't bring one with me and then gave it to her and she picked it up. She looked at me like, you know, I think it was the $1 million. <laughs> and so she said, just a minute, a few minutes later, the president of the bank, my little bank, came out and said, I see you in my office, please. And I'd met him once before. We went and sat down in his office. He says, is this a joke? And I said, no, it's a check. <laughs> and so he says, but this is a lot of money. And I said, yeah, it sure is. And he says, just handwritten in a felt tip pen, yeah. He says, well, I've got to verify that there's funds to cover this check. And I said, okay. And so it said, manufacturers, bank and trust, Forest City. And he got on the phone. And he called the other bank to see if this guy had a million dollars in his checking account. And I'm, I'm sitting there nervous, and he's saying, hello, this is uh, Ingus Belliston Bank, and uh, we've got a person here depositing a million dollars on a handwritten personal check drawn on the account of John and Louise Hansen. I just wanted to confirm whether or not the check is good. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you very much. And I, I didn't know if it was good news or bad news. What'd he say? And he said, he says, I hope it's good. He owns the bank. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good, and it was a wonderful beginning.
And you know, uh, it was just literally right in those days that we were struggling so hard to get enough money to just pay our, <laughs> I count hand, all of our employees on one hand, but to be able to pay them. And then all of a sudden, we had enough money to really do something. Uh, dream a dream. And when you dream the dream, believe in yourself. That's what Bill Lear taught me. And I think if it wasn't for Bill Lear, I would have never had the confidence to talk to John Hansen like, yes, I can do this. I'm pleased to say that John Hansen sold his stock that he bought from me for a lot more than he paid it for it. And that means a lot to me. I turned out to be a good investment for him. And I'm pretty excited about that. Live your dreams. Believe in yourself. And uh, now we'd like to turn some time over to Peugeot to talk like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Question. Oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? <clears throat> Why are there so many songs about rainbows? I do so many songs about rainbows. <laughs> cut, cut. Thank you. See you next time.